Like I said, I, I see a lot of new faces this morning. I want to welcome you guys. Thank you so much for coming. Um, it's not always the easiest thing to do in the world to come to a new group of people, but I'm going to tell you, this group of people is a group that you want to be a part of because um, we're broken, we're not perfect, and we all know it, right? Amen, right? But who is perfect? Who is uh, our Redeemer? It's Jesus Christ. And so that's something that is important, I think, to start your Christian walk. You've got to understand, I can't get to heaven without Jesus. And um, that's something that's, it's, it's all about his grace, right? And he pours it out abundantly, I know, because I'm very good at sinning. That's another thing that we would talk about, is that we are sinners, and um, we're in need of a redeemer. So when it all comes down to it, we need to walk by faith, right? If we have God's grace, we need to walk in that grace by faith. And God's way is the best for us. As we are, are we willing to walk in faith to achieve his goals for our lives? Now, I was going to say to achieve life's goal. I didn't put that, but I put his goal for our lives because I think a lot of times God's goal for my life and my goals for my life are two different things. I think many times they can line up together, but a lot of times my ways kind of drift a little bit from where he has. He's like, I was actually going to have you go up here, but it, it hurts up there, Lord. It, it's suffering up there. And he's like, I know, but in the long run, it'll be better. In the long run, you'll understand. And I'm like, okay, this is the short run. <laughs> and then he brings me back into him. See, if he would have came here, you would have had less suffering if you would have went my way. Uh, and sometimes not. Sometimes it's more suffering, but the destination is what we're heading for, right? We want to make it to heaven. That's where I want to go. I hope that's where you want to go. And when we follow Jesus' way, that's where we get there. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 17. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. If you happen to have one of those red ones in front of you, that's the ones that we're going to use. The black ones are close, but that's the NIV. And we're doing the New Living Translation. So if you have it on your Bible too, that's great. On your phone. But I prefer the Pew Bible because it's really hard to flip over to Facebook or Instagram or TikTok on your Pew Bible than it is your, your phone, right? So that's why I encourage the, the Pew Bible. Pew, pew, pew. Man, I don't know how many more of those are going to come out today, but I know there's going to be more. Um, so get ready. Get ready. All right, Genesis chapter 17, we'll be reading the first eight verses. This is where Abram gets his name changed, finally, to Abraham. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant to you by which I will agree to give you countless descendants. All this, at this, Abram fell face down to the ground. Why? Because he knew he couldn't be holy and blameless, right? Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make your, you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and the kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant, and I 
I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you, and I will give you give the entire land of Canaan, or I'll give you the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner. To you and your descendants, it will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. Wow, this is the word of the Lord. So, I remember the old Sunday school song, Father Abraham had many sons. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, nod your head. Then sometimes you'd stick out your tongue, you'd spin around. And eventually, to end the song, you would sit down. Spin around, turn around, sit down, boom, you were done. And the Sunday school teacher thought they were the greatest because they figure out how to end the everlasting song. But they also had that time killer in there to, to get, right? Until... Shane House came to Sunday school and he started that song all over again. I was like, we got time. Oh boy. Father Abraham and many sons. How many sons did Father Abraham have to make the covenant? He had one for the covenant. Okay, he, had, he already had Ishmael, was outside the covenant. He has, um, eventually we'll have Isaac here pretty soon. And he was in the covenant and then he has some kids after um, Sarah passes away, and those are outside the covenant too. He moves them all away from Isaac, and then um, they all want to come back into that covenant agreement with them because this is um, pre-law. They say uh, this, there are, the argument that this blessing was for all of us and things. God says it's specifically for Isaac. And it's interesting that we still have that feud today, isn't it, in the Middle East? So God is about to make his covenant with Abram. God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many, which is ironic because he's father of few, and his next son is father of few. Isaac only has two kids, and then um, goes to one of those specific. He has 12, and from those 12, we get the nations of Israel. He gets the 12 tribes and things. So we got a little ways before we get to the nation of Israel, but it starts with Abram. And then changes to Abraham. And so from the, the covenant that God gives Abraham, you'll see this in the story of Isaac. And then from the story of Isaac, you'll see it in the story. Eventually, he'll change his name to Israel. And that's where we get the nation of Israel. Okay, So Jacob goes to Israel. To a man without a promised son, he gives him a name of father of many. However, this isn't on Abraham's timetable, is it? It's on God's timetable, and he is about to do something miraculous in this. So when God tells him that he's going to have a son, and Sarah's going to have a son while she's 90, he laughs. Eventually, Sarah will laugh. And you know what God names Isaac? Laughter. That's what Isaac means, okay? So does God have a sense of humor? Better than mine. You're like, amen. Don't encourage him, folks. Uh, as we mentioned back in chapter 15, when God established the covenant with Abraham, he said to Abraham, all you need to do is be perfect. Here he says it, um, you need to be, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. Well, easy peasy, I can do that, right? What does Abraham, Abram at that time, what's he do? 
he falls face down. He's like, I can't do this. He's reminded of the same covenant that he made back in chapter 15. And he says, I can't do it. I, there's no way I can do this. And God understands that he can't live faithfully and blamelessly. Until God changes his name, no, no, he's going to mess up pretty bad after he changes his name too, right? Who is the blameless, faithful one in the covenant? It's God, right? And who fulfills our half of that covenant is Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that again today as I, I'll point that out one more time. So he fell in surrender before God. He says, I am not worthy God comes to him for the first time. He calls himself, I'm El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. I'm the God that provides for you. Because Shad in, the, in Hebrew means breast. And it means to, I'm going to provide for your needs. Like a mother does to um, her children. So that's an interesting way to look at uh, the feminine form of Shaddai. This is the masculine form. Um, so I thought that was interesting. He's all-sufficient God who will meet all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's a VBS song. That's how I remember that verse. That's, um, I think it's Philippians. Pretty sure. I'm not 100% sure about that. Um, God, again, lays out that Abraham will be the father of many nations. And he's like, where? With who? With Sarah? And this is amazing because Sarah is 90 years old and, and childless. God, again, then he says, they will inherit the land of Canaan. This is a big land. I have to have a lot of people to fill this land up. There's no way I'm going to do this. But does Abraham say no? He says, how? How, Lord? How are you going to do this? And he lays out his plan back in chapter 15. Abraham believes and is credit to him as righteous. Okay? It is not anything more than belief. Okay? And we know that God gave Abraham credit because of his righteousness by faith. We see this in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave his home and go to another land that God would give him this inheritance. He he went without knowing where he was going. That was We've already read that part of the story. And even when he reached the land, God promised him he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundation, a city designed and built by God. Because God knew that there was something that he had planned for Abraham's life. And Abraham knew that he could trust his God to receive that blessing. And so as he walks in that blessing, not only am I going to be blessed on this earth, but I'm going to be blessed afterwards to an eternal kingdom that we have. Abraham knew the kingdom was not of this world. So what does this face bathe lifestyle look like that would get us to heaven what does it look like how are we going to follow today with faith and righteousness righteousness lived by faith okay through god's grace right well what does that look like 
Well, it looks like our call to worship this morning. Matthew 5, 43 through 48, it says, You have heard the law say that love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What's, what command is that? An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Okay? Love those who love you, hate those who hate you. Okay, that's the world today. That is how we have established um, everything. If you want to simplify that, that's an eye for an eye. If somebody takes your eye, you get to gouge out theirs, right? If somebody takes a life, you take their life. That is not correct. Jesus says we are above that. We need to love like God loved. And how did God love? Did he take our eye when we sinned against him? No. He gave his son. He gave a, a, above and beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. It's amazing. Um, in this way, verse 45, you, you will be acting as true children of the Father in heaven, for he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain to the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, re what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are, are kind to only those to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Every time I read that verse in the Bible, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, as it says in the King James, I'm like, I'm in trouble. Right? I cannot be perfect, Lord. I have moments of perfection when I'm following you. And he's like, there it is. When you follow me. Hmm. Okay? So did God expect perfection out of Abraham? Did he expect him to be blameless? No, he expected him to be faithful and to follow. What is the common law of the land at this time? We saw it with Cain and Abel. It's eye for an eye. A life for a life. Abraham understood that it what it meant to love with the love of the Lord. You are to be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. We see a great example in the Bible, Jesus tells it with the great Samaritan, right? The Samaritan comes along and, oh, let me back up. So there's a guy walking along the road, most likely he's a Jewish man, and he is mugged by uh, robbers and thieves, and he's in a bad way. He's left to die on the side of the road. Uh, two guys come alongside that Jesus makes a priest and um, a rabbi, and both of them say, well, I can't touch him. I got, they go to the other side of the road. I'd be unclean. I got Sunday school to go to and church. I'd be in trouble if I got there. I can't do that. But then the Samaritan comes along, and he sees this guy on the side of the road, picks him up, cares for his wound, takes him to a, um, an inn, gives him abundant amount of money to, for him to take care of him. He, need, he can stay as long as he needs to to get better. And if he has a debt, when I come back, I will pay for that as well. Okay? What's the problem with that story in a Jewish person's eyes? Jewish people hate Samaritans. Okay? We have... They love to... To love, in a sense, to love eye for an eye, well, I didn't do the crime, so it's not my responsibility. That's, that's their justification, okay? So if you're going eye for an eye, it's not how do I love my neighbor, it's how do I not hate my neighbor. 
Can you see how the difference between that is? It's a lot easier not to hate your neighbor than it is to love your neighbor. Because love requires what? Yes, sacrificial action, right? Love requires sacrificial action. If we don't have it, then we're in trouble. To minister to a stranger that he didn't know, this is true love. This is sacrificial action. Uh, for the other two fellows that thought you would think they would know that, and um, they didn't, Jesus always takes the outcast and he makes them the hero of the story. That's why I love the story of the great Samaritans. So God has called us by his grace to live a life of faith in Christ Jesus. Folks, we're supposed to look past politics. We're supposed to look past race. We're supposed to look past social status and to love like Jesus did. Amen? Okay? I, from here till November, I'm not a, a big fan of politics. I don't like to talk politics because um, it's so divisive. We have an election coming in November, and last time I checked, we're not going to come alongside somebody and convince them to change their mind unless Jesus Christ is involved. Amen? So I'm not going to come up to somebody and try to convince them that they need to vote for um, Republican, Democrat, Independent, or Chuck as a write-in. It might work. We could try Chuck. He might be, might be our savior. <laughs> but I'm going to love somebody sacrificially, which means I'm going to listen to somebody's opinion that I don't necessarily want to listen to. I'm going to hear them out, and um, I might point out a few things that is wrong in their argument, according to the Bible, not according to another politician. Okay? And that's where I will go. God's way, and why? Why am I going to do that? Because last election, presidential election, two years ago, man, it got ugly. It got ugly in the church, outside the church, inside, anywhere you went, it was just ugly. It was a divisive tool, and I'm not going to be divided anymore. We are supposed to be united in Christ, and that's where we're going. Okay? So, unity in Christ, you haven't got, got anything nice to say? They don't say anything at all. Worship the Lord. Amen? Okay. God's way is what is best for us. Are we willing to walk in faith to achieve his goal for our lives? Let's continue on in Genesis chapter 17, 9 through 14. Then God said to Abraham, Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility this is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep each male among you must be circumcised you must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you for generation to generation every male must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth this applies not only to members of your your family but also to the servants born in your household and to foreign born servants whom you have purchased also all must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of your everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. Folks, walking by faith, it can hurt, right? Abraham is 99 years old, and God says, cut off your foreskin there, son. And he's like, boom, I can do that. That's one thing he can do, right? Did that save him? No, that is a symbol of walking by faith, okay? 
It is the faith walk that saves us. Walking walking by faith, it can hurt. That's our second point. Especially when you're walking on a holy ground. When we come before a holy God with sin in our lives, with sin in our hearts, we can't stand in His presence. And He can't stand us. So He had to find redemption. He had to find a Redeemer. And that's where He sends Jesus Christ. And he is the mediator between God and man. And we have hope because God sent his son to be our savior. The father has sent his son to be a savior. father has sent... Okay, no, don't know that one either. That's what's going on in my head, just so you know. You're like, oh boy, I hope you... Just leave it there, Shane. Uh, God must do the saving. Right? It is not ours. It's nothing we can do to work our way to it. God must do the saving. What has got Abraham to trouble up to this point? Well, I think he started thinking incorrectly, and he, he started that relationship with Hagar. Right? He tried to help out the Lord, and he has hurt his marriage. We talked about that last week a lot. We talked about how God um, had to restore their marriage. I think he's still in the process. I think this is the beginning of the process of restoring the marriage. Last week was uh, Marriage Counseling 101. If you haven't heard that, you might want to go back and listen to that. Um, But things need to be restored. Things need to be renewed. And Abraham needs an all-sufficient God to save him. The phrase... I will establish my covenant, okay? It happens four times in, it happens five times in the Bible, four times in Genesis, one time in um, Ezekiel, okay? When it says it, I think it's, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's 3468, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Uh, I'm not sure about the chapter. The verse is pretty sure I'm right on that. We see it in verse 7 here, back in our last passage we read, I will establish my covenant. What is a covenant? It is a series of promises given from a higher party to a lower party. Marriage is a covenant between God and us. We are the secondary party. We as a, a couple come together and we agree that we're going to follow the Lord and we are going to show our children what it means to follow the Lord. That is the intention of marriage. Anything else is a distortion of that. And... I'm just coming to understand that as a pastor more and more. So this, I will establish my covenant, happens four times in Genesis. And we're talking major times. We're talking like uh, with Adam and Eve, with Noah, with Abraham. Okay? He says, you might say it twice with Abraham. The fifth is in Ezekiel, and it's the promise of Jesus to come as the Messiah. Okay? God is establishing himself as the Savior, as Yahweh, which means to save. Okay? The God, God's name Yahweh is, means Savior. We'll come back to that. God is going to save Abraham from his sins. However, man rejects God. The Israelites reject him out of fear at Mount Sinai. And so God gives them the law. Right? 
So I, I really think God is prepared to pour out the Holy Spirit on his people at Mount Sinai. And the people reject him. He gives them the law to follow. If you're not going to take the, the Holy Spirit now, I'm going to pour it out onto 70. They're going to teach you. And I'm going to give you the law that you can follow until I can pour out my spirit after my son comes. Okay? And we find out in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24b through, that means the second part of the verse, through 26, it says the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now the way of faith has come. We no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We needed something more than the law to save us from sin. The law points out our sin. Okay, that's all the law does. If you look at the rules in the Old Testament, you see that God has laid out some rules that we can follow so we can uh, walk as Jesus walked. Jesus was able to come alongside and do all the laws to perfection, which was kind of cool. And that's why he fulfilled the law. There's only one that's been able to do that, and that's Jesus. That's God made man. We can't do it because we have a sin nature in our life. Because now we know what is broken. The law points it out to us. Okay, We have the law. We see that we have broken. If you simplify the law, what do we have? We have the Ten Commandments, right? God lays out the law and the Ten Commandments. And if we look at the Ten Commandments, if we start looking through that list, we find out that we have broken most of that list and that we are in need of a Savior because we have a sin nature. Well, God was that nature, but the first step is that we know that we're broken. That's why the law comes in. So the Father sent His Son to be the Savior. Finishing out the Galatians passage, 26 through 29, For you are all children of God through the faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Now, what's he talking about baptism? He's talking about uh, getting dunked in the, underneath the water? No, he's being baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's when you say, I surrender to you, Lord, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives in your heart, then you follow that up with physical baptism, which is water baptism, which says... Hey, I'm going to let the whole world know that I'm a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, So that's an outward symbol of an inward expression of Jesus Christ into your heart. Okay, I understand that I'm in need of a Savior. I've come, accept Jesus in my heart. So baptism by fire, I would call this one, this relationship, and that's a baptism by water. Okay, So he puts us new clothes on us. On us, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong in Christ, you are true children of Abraham, you are his heirs. God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. It doesn't matter the color of our skin, it doesn't matter if we're rich or if we're poor, it doesn't matter if we're Jewish or Gentile, it doesn't matter. Jesus Christ wants all of us. Listen to me on this. God's 
promise to Abraham. In a sense, Abraham's covenant is by grace. God didn't have to give it to us, yet he does. That's what grace is. Unmerited favor. Through faith in Christ Jesus. So if we believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he existed and we have faith in him, we put our trust in him, he allows us to find him in righteousness. Okay? If you truly take that step of faith in Christ Jesus, I believe, and I would call that surrendering to him, um, we talked about it as felty, as if you knew what, um, we talked about that a few weeks ago as well. So that is like a knight um, giving felty, so he's surrendering to the king, the king, king at that point. So he bows down like this, right? And if he bows down, the, same pull, the king pulls his sword, he either pardons him with two strokes over his head, or he comes down and he chops his head off. That's what we're doing to the Lord. We're giving him felty to him, okay? So how do I know this? That's great. You keep talking about it, but how do you know this? Well, let me show you a little discovery. Now, keep in mind, this is written and happening thousands of years before Jesus was on the earth. Okay, We all have it in one Bible, yes, but we're talking about four to 6,000 years, depending on how you look at it, from the start to the end of this book. Okay? So, especially when we're in, at the story of... Abraham. So look at this. God presents himself as Yahweh, the God who saves, right? When does he do that? He presents him as Yahweh to Adam and Eve. When sin comes into the world, he, he says, I am the God who's going to save you now. I'm not just your Elohim, the God who created. I'm the God who saves. Now, in this passage, he declares himself as El Shaddai, this is the first time he does it, and he says, I am God Almighty. I'm all-sufficient in power and provision. I reign supreme. I have everything. I'm going to allow you to come and be a part of that, Abraham. Insert your name here, right? I'm going to allow you to be a part of this, Shane, whoever else. He is the greater party in the covenant, isn't he? He is almighty. He is all-powerful. Everything that, that is on the earth belongs to him. Do we have anything to offer him? No. We have our will. We can surrender our will. The name of God in the book of Genesis, at least to this point, from what I've found, we have four names. Okay, Four names of God at this point. God gets a little bit more, there's more description once he becomes more intimate with his people. And so as he's starting that intimacy with Abraham, he names himself El Shaddai, okay? But first one is Elohim. This is creator God. This is God you see in Genesis chapter 1. Elohim, in the beginning was Elohim, okay? So that would be the, the creator God. This is how God reveals himself. The next would be Yahweh, a loving redeemer. Okay, sin has come into the world, so now God changes his name to, I'm going to be your redeemer. I have a plan of redemption that comes in. I'm changing my name so you will not forget this. Notice that Satan never calls God Yahweh, because he will never be redeemed. Okay, 
Satan never calls him Yahweh. He always calls him Elohim. It means God. Okay? And then we have, it's just the Hebrew. The Hebrew has uh, four different diff- ways that they call God, God. Okay? So it's a little more descriptive. Then we have Adonai. We would know this as the Lord. Okay? If you ever see in your Bible it says the Lord, it's calling him Adonai. He is the only way to heaven, and he has closed the door to Satan. Okay? And then finally here we have, this is, he declares himself Adonai. Uh, I, I think it's either to Noah or Adam and Eve as well when he closes the door to the, um, the garden. He calls himself Adonai. So there's only one way back in through that. And then El Shaddai, the provider, the one who's going to take care of the Almighty. So if Jesus is the Lord, he has to fulfill all these titles, right? If Jesus truly is God, then he has to fulfill all these titles. We've got to see that in his actions. We've got to see that in his, maybe his name as it is. Elohim, we see that in John chapter 1. Uh, Jesus was with God in the beginning. The word um, was with God, Elohim, in the beginning. Yahweh, Jesus is our Savior. We'll come back to that one. Adonai, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the gate. Okay, Jesus declares all this. We see this all in the book of John. El Shaddai. Jesus fulfills the covenant with all mankind. The one established with Abraham. Okay? God, Jesus fulfills the covenant with all mankind. This is the one he's establishing right now. When Jesus says it is finished, he has established this covenant because now it belongs to all of us. Not just a chosen people, but those who have the Holy Spirit in their heart. One last thing when it comes to Yahweh. Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God, okay? When it's translated into Greek, it is Yeshua. When Greek is translated into English, it is Jesus. Jesus takes the name of Yahweh to live. Jesus is the promise of Genesis chapter 17. Okay? Jesus is the promise of Genesis chapter 17, and he is the fulfillment of that covenant. God's way is what is best for us. Are we willing to walk in faith to achieve his goal for our lives? Let's finish off the chapter. Now he talks to Sarah. He brings Sarah into the covenant. Okay? This is very, very important when it comes to restoration. He restores both parties. Then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai, for now on her, now on her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give, give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. King of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed at himself in disbelief. How can I become a father at the age of 100, he thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? 
So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God said, no, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you, and you will call him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with you, with him and his descendants, as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him an extremely fruitful, multiply his descendants. He will become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, whom you will, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. When God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and every male in his household, including those born under those who he had bought, and he circumcised them, cutting off their foreskins just as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and Ishmael, his son, was 13. Both Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised on the same day, along with all the other men and boys of the household, whether they were born there or bought as servants, all were circumcised with him, just like God commanded, because he wanted it to fulfill his side of the covenant. My final point this morning is to stay on the path. Stay on the path. God said from the very beginning that he was going to establish his covenant through Sarah. Abraham, even in this passage, tries to get God to do it through Ishmael. And God says no. I think he says it firm. And he says, no, I promised through Sarah. It's going to come through Sarah. What's the problem? Why does he want Ishmael? He's got a sure thing there. He's worried about his age. He's worried about Sarah's age. He, he doesn't think it happened, but uh, with God, all things are possible. How do we respond when God tells us no? Do we try to keep doing it our own way? I have to give Abraham credit to that. That very day at the age of 99, he cuts off his foreskin. And I don't think that feels very good. That's right. And he does it to every other male in his household. But, so he is faithful, right? But as I read this passage, I can't help but think about the hurt that has gone on in the relationship between Abraham and Sarah for the last 14-ish years. Between Hagar and Sarah, between Sarah and Abraham. And the restoration happens, and we see this, it starts with faith. We see this in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. It says, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there was no way to count them. Yahweh, the loving Redeemer, has restored not only this nation that he's promised, not only this promise that he's given, but he's restored this marriage. It says, walk with me and I will show you the way. Walk by faith, friend. 
And I will restore this marriage. He says about this time next year. Well, how long is a gestational period for man? It's about nine months, right? So what happened the other three months? It doesn't say in there. It doesn't, the scripture doesn't say this is just my personal belief. But I believe God restores, restored their marriage back to where it was. I think God came alongside and started the healing process in a permanent nature after 13 or 14 years of hurt. Can God restore? Absolutely. If he can restore me to him, he can restore my uh, Abraham and Sarah back together, right? Praise God for that. I believe God restored their marriage back to how it used to be, Abraham and Sarah and the Holy Spirit. They walk with God together. And they go back to their old tricks. We're going to find that um, with King Abimelech, I think it is his name is. They do the same thing to him that they do the, to the Pharaoh. So they go back to their old tricks because God changed their name. Is everything going to be perfect now that they walk in perfection? Are they perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect? No. They have moments of perfection. Okay? There's a big difference between that. When we walk by faith in Jesus Christ and we are in his word and we are following him, we have moments of perfection because Christ is leading the way. And when he leads the way, we can be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. When we walk outside of that, we need that restoration again. We need that savior. We need the God Yahweh to restore us. So we are supposed to walk with you and me and the Holy Spirit. That's community. That's mutual community that we want to have together. That's why we come together as um, faith of believers, right? We walk with God together. However, they walk right into trouble again, like I said before, because our human nature is always there warring at us. God's way is what's best for us. We're are we willing to walk in faith to achieve his goal for our lives? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you that you restore us back to you. That we can walk as Jesus walked. Lord, when we stray, we ask that you forgive us. When we stray, Lord, that we ask that you would call out to us when we stray Lord, give us a clear path to come back to you. Lord, when we walk in your way, Lord, allow us to settle in that peace. When we walk in your way, Lord, let us experience the joy of that relationship. Lord, when we walk in your way, allow, allow us to have a hunger for your word that we would continue to walk as Jesus walked. Lord, as we walk together, I pray that we would have a time that we would pursue you through your word through prayer and an act of surrender to uh, take our lifestyle of worship and make it holy and pleasing to you and that we would love our neighbor and love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us lord guide us back to you guide us as we walk not only with ourselves but with our spouses with our family with our church family Guide us and direct us, lead us and protect us as we go. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
You're dismissed. Thanks for your kind attention.